Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you before we start to whatever you are listening to this. Just a word of warning, we do this podcast three times a week, but we're not always sure which day it's going to be on. So the only way to keep your finger on the pulse and listen to the latest episode is to subscribe, get notifications, or not drop us a review while you're there. Right, enough of that. Let's talk some rugby. I'm Ben James. I'm joined by two very special guests. Well, not that special. We are every week. Well, you know, <laughs> you start speaking to different voices, see different faces, and it's, it's nice to return to to what you know. Simon Thomas and Andy Howe. Uh, we've also got Owen Jones coming up in a little bit, but um, we'll, we'll start with you two for now. Uh, busy day uh, in the Wales online offices because uh, Wales have gone and booked themselves a quarter-final spot of the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, it's job done, really, isn't it? In that sense, it was it was hard work though. They're up against a very fine Fijian side and. They were stretched. It was a real Fijian storm coming their way, and especially especially that first thirty minutes. And um, Wales were asked a lot of questions. They missed thirty-one tackles during that game. Um, they were breached twice in the opening quarter, and uh, the old alarm bells were ringing in this office, and they were ringing for Wales. It was echoes of two thousand and seven. But in fairness, they dug deep. They got some dominance at scrum, which is encouraging, given the problems they've had there before. And they showed an ability to score out wide, and they got the job done. And it's as with Australia, showed a lot of character, Andy, didn't they? Yeah, they did because uh, you know they were under the pump at times. That was a horrific start, ten points down after nine minutes, and uh, Wales were all over the shop. They were pretty passive in defence. It's almost as though they were caught cold, and they weren't expecting that from uh, Fiji. But Fiji, of course, they had something on the end of it. They want to finish third in the group to qualify automatically for the next World Cup. And they were treating this as their World Cup final after failing against uh, Australia. Also gave them a, a good game. And it was only that, uh, you know, our nerves, I guess, were uh, settled when um, when Josh Adams went over for his hat-trick of uh, tries. Uh, Wales had been on the ropes till then. Brilliant play by Jonathan Davis to put him in. Uh, Patchell came on for Dan Bigger, took another knock to the head. And he struck a long-range penalty straight away. And then it was uh, Fiji were chasing the game a bit. And uh, the ball broke for Wales. And uh, Gareth Davis put Lee, the outstanding Liam Williams over. So uh, you look at the score, 29-17. That scoreline is, is, uh, makes it look a lot more comfortable than it actually was. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting isn't it, that Reese Patchell's kick at goal was the first penalty of the match probably shows you the sort of game that Wales didn't want to get sucked into which was a tri-fest against Fiji yeah it was I mean if you look at the first 20 they, they you know they were hanging on to the Fijian coattails I mean they just couldn't cope with the pace the tempo they brought the physicality whilst players were being bumped off and it was it was uh, hard watching because you thought when is this storm going to end I mean and it did end in that first half with Wales taking a grip especially through their set piece play they they, they prolonged pressure a series of penalties which they went to scrums for each time uh, Fiji uh, had given one yellow card away already for a, you know a silly clear out by Kavabati and then you know succession of penalties our old friend Campesi Mafu struggling on the loose said he gave a couple away there were four penalties in total on their own line cumulative uh, yellow card against uh, Samara Tani the, the, the flanker and uh, Wales capitalising the extra money. Adam's going over the, his second, you know, there'd be an earlier try from a cross kick. So 
they took their chances, got in a good position, but then Fiji came back again, you know, and Wales had to dig deep. And I thought, I suppose the encouraging thing was that Wales won by showing that they could play as well. Right, yeah. Uh, done the wide channels, and that's what I enjoy the most uh, about it and about this World Cup. There's a Wales's attacking game seems to have improved again. They're using the ball uh, more efficiently, better, and getting it wide. Uh, you know, I've got to pay tribute, I guess, to the work of uh, Stephen Jones. Took over from uh, Rob Bowley doing it before the World Cup had actually kicked off. Uh, to Stephen's come in as attack coach, and I think he must be he must be doing some good work because Wales are looking better in attack. Well, the irony, and is that the, the, the attack which we were so concerned about and the scrum which we were so concerned about pretty good today. The defence, which has been the mainstay of the Welsh game up until this World Cup, all of a sudden, a few issues there. 77 tackles conceded in the first three games, 31 against Australia, 31 against Fiji. What's going on there? Well, it's a major worry, isn't it? I think that uh, obviously we've got the quality of opposition to take uh, into account the uh, backs of Fiji got and Australia. But I think the signs were there in the warm-up match with England at uh, Twickenham, where England used loads of decoy runners in midfield, playing off the outside half and uh, if you've got a good a good playmaker uh, which Ben Rolla was really for Fiji Matt Tamua for Australia at, uh, and George Ford against at the that game in Twickenham the quality of their passing puts players in the hole so it makes it, it makes it really difficult to defend then so Wales have been struggling a bit on the uh, cutback and I am seeing Wales defenders badly since the uh, 2016 tour in New Zealand when they were given the run round in midfield by the sheer pace of New Zealand. You know Sean Edwards well. How will a, he respond to this and how will he deal with it? Uh, he'll be, obviously, he will uh, be fuming, <laughs> but he's going to have to work out a, a, a formula for, um, for, uh, for dealing with that, uh, you know, that type of uh, opposition. Uh, Wales going to have to change the shape of their defence a bit. I mean, it was um, one-on-one tackles quite a bit today. It was certainly the first two tries. Yeah. You know, Josh uh, uh, Adams is unfortunate. You know, one-on-one and two or silver, one-on-one of the fullback. Came off second best, didn't he? Yeah, they were, uh, it was a poor body position from Josh Adams. I think it was on the first one. Uh, really, guys shouldn't be scoring those sort of uh, tries, although those Fijians are um, exceptionally uh, strong. They're the one that sort of tackles you've got to make, really, at this uh, level. What was a concern, though, was that sometimes uh, Fiji, from a standing start, they would stand up Welsh players and they would just dance around them. And that shows maybe there is a lack of pace in our Welsh uh, in our Welsh back division. Mm. Going back to the attack, because it's nice to see Wales' attack getting some love. And what's interesting, you look at Wales are going wider. And I spoke to Charlie Morgan about it last week, and it's something that Gwyn Jones has said on a few occasions, that earning the right to go wide, this whole sort of getting over the gain line, is something of a fallacy in rugby and... I think Wales are showing that a little bit, aren't they? That they're, they're just using just straight up width. They just go coast to coast, quick hands, precision, and that that's how you find edges rather than necessarily always going forward. Well, if you think about it, you know, Wales have been very, you know, effective off set piece ball. You don't go forward off a set piece ball often. It just goes, it's a set move, isn't it? And it quite often goes out wide. I think they're showing a confidence in their handling ability now. There's a belief in it. And I would imagine it's an enjoyable style of rugby to play. You know, how much of that is like Stephen Jones' influence coming in and having a little bit of an impact? It's hard to know without being there. But, you know, the passing is looking slick. You know, the transference to Josh Adams for a couple of tries was good. You know, they, they are looking comfortable with ball in hand and you, you've got you know to brick to come back in who offers an awful lot in that wide channel as well yeah I mean 
the attack is not a concern. It was, and now something else is a concern. It's funny how these tournaments go, really. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to confidence, doesn't it, with the attack? And someone like uh, uh, Stephen Jones would bring loads of confidence, enthusiasm, and make the players uh, uh, believe. I'm not, of course, saying it's all uh, down to him. But uh, Wales have had a decent enough platform in this World Cup. You can still go up a platform to um, to fill the ball wide. You can see towards the end of the game, Fiji were playing really deep, but they were you know playing behind the gain line, and then they struggled to get uh, anywhere. Uh, but Wales, if uh, you know, I think Wales are surprise teams. Wales, we expected Wales just to crash up the middle repeatedly, but they haven't. They've taken a wider route, and it's been uh, yeah. I suppose, it's been good I suppose to see. Wales are showing that you can get that platform by literally going touchline to touchline and stretching teams that way rather than always having to look for the game. And they also have that other little element to their attack was they have the absolute pinpoint precision of Dan Bigger's cross kicks. If ever that situation is on, as was the case with the first try, I mean, you, if you'd walked over and placed the ball in Josh Adams' hands, he couldn't have been more precise. It, 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 yeah, I, I wouldn't call them cross kicks. I'd call them kick passes. Because hmm. yep. they have that position. The other thing else, Wales, of course, is having a sniper like Gaz Davis at scrum half that also fixes defences. And also, this 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 game plan plays perfectly into their their ability of getting their best strike runners into the game. Obviously, George North, Liam Williams. Well, but the, you, you mentioned that you mentioned that, and, and Liam is excellent. Um, and you'll talk about him in a moment. I think. I mean, I just one start. He made like 146 meters. He ran today. Now that was on about 14 or 15 carries, if memory serves me right. George North looking at the stats, just the three carries. Do you think he needs to come into the game more, Andy George North? Yes, I do, Simon. I think he needs to uh, roll. Uh, you know, we've been saying, not only us have been saying this, Warren Gatlin's been saying this for years, you know, the last few years. George North needs to roam looking for work and looking for the ball. They need to get him on on the ball. But at the end of the day, it's him who's got to do that. You know, you can't, can't grab all of him and say, George, come here and take the ball. You know, he's got to be looking... To, uh, to make that much of an impact See, on the game. He was quiet well, the, today. The, the most carries in the game by any player today was Semi Odradra. 19 carries from the wing. You contrast that, the, the amount of involvement he had in that position compared to North. And, and North is such a physical, strong, fast runner with the ball in hand. Good feet. Wills, uh, so, I mean, is it a continuing issue that you've seen over the last few years? And do you think that they're trying to get him more involved? Is it something they've been aware yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been trying to get the best out of George for a few years. And uh, you know, that's he's been inconsistent, I guess. He's such and, a weapon, uh, such a talent. You know, you know? Really, that's what's frustrating, isn't it? Did you uh, remember the George North of all when he burst on the scene and up the Lions tour in 2013, his first few years? Yes, I accept he's had quite a few worrying knocks, but he, he you know, he's not the force that he once was. But you look at it against Georgia, he had two involvements in that second half, pivotal to Wales pulling clear down the wing, cross kick in for Thomas Williams, and then a good finish after Thomas Williams' own work. You know, get him on the ball, he will do damage. Yeah, but we're talking against the, against the top sides, we'd like to see him more in uh, more involved. Mm. Um, you know, I think he, I would play North against uh, Uruguay and tell him to get out there and get on that ball. A bit what, about, what about Liam then? You've been talking, we touched on him. Well, I thought Liam was excellent today, wasn't he? He's been, oh, pretty, yeah. he's been pretty quiet this World Cup, but he got his mojo back today. And, uh, you know, he, he was superb, wasn't he? he um, uh, dealing with Fiji, he made some telling tattles, vital tattles, and he runs so well, you know, he just glides with the opposition. He, he would have fitted into that Fiji team, you know, with their style of play. And uh, I thought it was great to see him back yeah, at okay. his best. I suppose looking to the pack, there was... Um a few sort of notable performances, uh, no more so than Josh Levine, who showed up well again. Yeah, I mean, we said after the first two games, I think we both agreed that Justin Tipperick was our outstanding player for the first two. Well, Seps didn't play this weekend. 
Navidi did. And I think you look at the World Cup as a whole over the three games, you'd have to say Navidi's been our most consistent performer. But then he's been consistent for six, seven, eight years in Welsh rugby. Had to bide his time after his for his second chance in international rugby, but he hasn't looked back since then. And he would have to be, you know, one of the name, first names in the team sheet, and I think certainly the first name in the back row division. You know, we've got a lot of op- options there with with Moriarty. I mean, and quite a lot of good things today, but I think whatever permutation they come up with, whether Navidi's playing six, seven, or eight, he's got to be in there because he just gets into everything, just so physical, so abrasive, punches well above his weight, and always delivers for you. Let's don't beat around the bush here. Wales missed Justin Tipperich as well today. You know, he has been standout uh, uh, player, not just for his work around the pitch, breakdown, etc., but for his line-out work. Um, you know, Wales lost the line-out or so today, but Tipperich has been, had such an influence on the game. I don't think... Navidi was brilliant, scrambling around the pitch, showing up, covering up for other people, but I don't think Wales had such an influence on the uh, breakdown today, which Tipperich uh, has brought in recent times as he's taken on that Sam Warburton uh, role. I think he was a big he was a big miss from the team today. They did they did quite well on the turnover count today. They got 16 turnovers. So I think maybe some of that was like Fiji just... They can sometimes for, overplay for, for, and for, for forcing offload, it to yeah. play, you know. But yeah, I mean, I think... If you look at that back row now, we know we're going to be in the quarterfinal now. I think the general view is it's going to be France. Heaven knows what's going to happen with the typhoon. We'll leave that for a little bit later on, perhaps. But if, if Wales play against France, what would your starting back row be on? Uh, I would uh, revert to the one I played against Australia, Wayne Wright, and, uh, at six in the media date and temperature. You, you at, don't uh, think Moriarty's quite doing I enough? I play him against uh, Uruguay again, but I just think that back row yeah. uh, that I like picked has got a beautiful balance to it, like the 2011 semi final back row of Warburton, Lydia at six, and um, Faletau. and Faletau at uh, at eight. Mm. Good of the options. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Plenty of options there. Indeed. Um, tell you what, we'll uh, get the thoughts of Owen Jones now on the match. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Okay, now joined on the podcast by Owen Jones, a rugby pass writer. Uh, is your blood pressure come down after that match? I don't know if mine has yet. I, I think my uh, my face is um, similar to Alan Brazil's um, at the moment. It's a little bit red. Um, it was not uh, very relaxing at all, um, that game. I think for the neutral, they had a whale of a time. But um, for anyone of a Welsh or Fijian disposition, that was that was quite a roller coaster, wasn't it? It was, it was late 2007 all over again, wasn't it? Except we came out on the right time this side. Yeah, I think the, the, the ghosts of Stade de la Bourgeois were, 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 were whirling around that stadium in in Oita, um during that game. I mean, they just flew out of the blocks. You know, everything, I think, the Welsh have been saying about controlling the game just went completely out the window because I think Fiji, just unlike any other side, I mean, I think Wales missed 31 tackles and was 77% completion rate, or actually 71%, which is just unheard of for a Sean Edwards um, coach, coach side. But again, they're almost a unique side to defend against and and Wales, like every other side, were, were found wanting at times. Because I think it's the first time since 2016, is it, that they've dropped below 80? And I think that was that was all three tests on the New Zealand Tour 2016, which you know probably yeah. exposed a lot of Welsh weaknesses in defence that time round, didn't it? When you look at how that probably ended Jamie Roberts' career, pretty much. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I think that that, that um, Australia Test uh, the end of 2016 that was or 17 was the end of Jamie Roberts' kind of international career, wasn't it? 
we had a poor defensive game. So um, whether Sean Edwards is going to decide um, some players have to kind of pay for missing tackles, I, I don't think so. I don't think in this tournament uh, environment he, he's going to make um, anyone an example of. But clearly uh, they want to tighten up. And that, that was uh, quite unusual. I, I really think it will come under the banner of a win's a win and it was a bonus point win. And I think I was... Uh, getting my detective work out and finding out if Wales had lost that game but scored their bonus point train and losing bonus point and a bonus point went over Uruguay if everyone's keeping up would have been enough um, to have won the group because they'd um, beaten Australia in the head-to-head <laughs> that's how that's how much you have to do the how much research you have to do to find out uh, what, what Wales uh, need to do to top that group but um, yeah they'll just they'll, they'll move on and, and just hope that their key players yeah. um I'm ruled out. Thankfully, it's all all our research is obsolete now because it does look like it's going to be a yeah. a pool stage win um, in a lot more simpler fashion. It's three wins from three, so Uruguay yeah. is pretty much you know not not a given. But let's be fair; it's probably going to happen, and Wales are going to top the, the pool stages for the first time since 1999. Which is you look at sort of some of the routes they've had in the knockout stages when they've reached the knockout stages in the last yeah. decade or two. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a big boost, isn't it? It's a massive boost. I think that's the first time they won. Uh, well, if they uh, beat Uruguay as we expect them to, it'll be the first time they won all their pool games since 1987. And as everyone remembers, who uh, are old enough, uh, Wales came third. Uh, I, I clearly think they'd like to go better than that. But you know, the portents uh, are strong there. Um, and, and as you say, they, they've been tested. Wales, I think that's 17 wins out of the last 20 games, and and. I think Wales are getting into that knack of winning games that they've been imperfect in. And, you know, there have been, you know, brilliant Welsh performances over the years and they've, yet they've lost the game. But obviously we all hark back to that first half against France, you know, for 60 minutes, they were kind of trailing England really in the kind of performance levels, but they just hang in there. I mean, don't want to kind of go too much into kind of boxing parlance, but they're kind of, they can go on the ropes, can't they? They can bob and weave like Tyson Fury. And then suddenly they just, seem to be able to manage that kind of last 10, 15 minutes. And I don't know if everybody watching knows they can do it, but Wales seem to have that belief, which is a which is a lovely knack to keep, isn't it? Absolutely, because I suppose the watching public might have thought that that knack had deserted them after the warm-ups, but it's it's good to see that even with that little loss of momentum in, in matches, which admittedly the camp wouldn't have placed much stock yeah. in, they, yeah. they, they've still managed to pick up and where they left off on the Six Nations and, and just, you know, make... Yeah well, f- forgetting to, to lose a habit again. Yeah, I mean, you could contrast that with Ireland, couldn't you? Because, you know, Ireland won three out of their four games, but but that loss, that it was 57 points to 10 or something against England was kind of more detrimental to their kind of belief than those fairly narrow losses to, to Ireland and, and England. They just didn't get out of the traps in that first game for the first 20 minutes, you know, in that first Ireland game uh, the principality they they fielded really a bit of a a trial game wasn't it for who made the squad but it but you're right it didn't seem to dent their confidence you know obviously we, we both spent some time kind of around the camp in the, in that month before they went out and they you could just tell the body language was good they 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 looked relaxed it just didn't feel like even any of those narrow losses had had dented that that belief that they built up and that was very much the party line coming from lots of the players that I spoke to. What you would say is you look at these two victories over Australia and, and Fiji, Wales have shown a lot of resilience in the second half to, to win both games where 
you know, in previous years, they they would have lost both those games, as we've seen yeah. from the yeah. the, the umpteen defeats to Australia yeah. in the two thousand and seven game against Fiji. Yeah. You know, these are games that Wales yeah. traditionally lose, but they've probably shown a resilience and a control in defence rather than maybe showing a control with ball in hand. Like the kick, the kick in wasn't brilliant today. That there was never a moment where you really saw Wales sort of pin Fiji back in the corners, did you? No, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, you got to must give credit. To kind of reach Reese Patchley, he did find a few um, touch finders that were, that were good, and obviously he stuck his penalty through the sticks within almost a, a, a minute of, of coming on. But no, they're kind of tactical kicking. You know, Liam Williams, who was ever so brave all day, but he stuck up a couple of kicks, didn't regather. Dan Bigger did the same. I mean, those two obviously, you know, had a, a sickening collision. But no, it, their kicking game wasn't precise, and I think that just shows you just how much Fiji had rattled them and, and frankly when Wales usually kind of drive the ball down into opposition territory that they trust their defence don't they but I think today uh, you know Semi Radradra and, and, and friends were just making them you know a little bit d- doubt themselves and thinking is this the right way we should be kind of closing out the game is, is by using our kicking game and, and as, as a result it just wasn't quite on point was it? No probably, probably just second guessing themselves a lot um, yeah. Another big talking point um, from the game, uh, I suppose, as it has been for much of the tournament, is um, mm. discipline, cards, uh, infringements. We we saw, well, we saw four more yellow cards today. Um, yeah. yeah, and potentially two of them could have been red. Yeah, I, I was I was asked about that kind of in game, especially the the Ken Owens yellow card i mean it it really is a lottery now i don't think anybody whether they've had a hundred tests or whether they've played for you know the old the old bumfartians thirds um have any idea what card's going to be pulled out with any kind of you know surety um again he looked like he'd 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 set himself he he wasn't able to kind of pull out for the tackle uh you know the sajin or kyle you know went over ken Owens, he didn't look like he had a full grasp of him, but whether they say he, he had control and was over the kind of tipping point where he should have controlled his landing. It, it, again, these things happen in, in split seconds. When things are slowed down, they, they look terrible and you get the, the crowd ooing and ahhing. But yeah, I, 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 I don't know if he, if he will be cited from that, whether they think that was, was sufficient. It, it's going to be a little nervous wait, isn't it? It is us. Our resident expert on the um, <laughs> on, on these sort of things, Simon Thomas, seems to think that it was probably fairly a yellow card because these things are sort of judged more on um, how they finish rather than probably the intent. So the Fijian, yeah. I think it was Matter, wasn't it, landed on his yeah. back probably rather than his yeah. head. So I think yeah. that's a mitigating factor, but yeah. you know, it's, it's a job to really know, isn't it? It, it is, it is. And, and, and the James Davis yellow, I mean, you know, I've cursed him by... He'd made a few, you know, he had a decent turnover, didn't he? You know, deep in Welsh territory, he'd made two kind of, you know, fairly essential or key tackles. And and, and then, of course, you know, when you're a seven, you're always on the tightrope. And I think Sam Warburton called it. He said he, he should have been a, a yellow. He was kind of getting his hands on the ball, ball there where, where, where he, sh- he shouldn't have. But um, I think it was, you know, I think it was good man and management by... Warren Gatland to keep him on the field after he came back back on because often you see if somebody gets a yellow card and they're in, in that kind of stage of the game then they maybe stay off but I think that's actually really good for his 
confidence. I think James Davis, obviously, you know, he said, have you seen the lights? You know, almost famously now to Warren Gatland. But I think like any player, he wants to think that Warren Gatland has belief in him. And I think uh, he'll get another, some more match minutes uh, against um, Uruguay. There's probably a lot of players who play today who might get match minutes um, simply because <laughs> of the, the injuries. There's no end standing. To, to rack up, yeah. isn't it? It's, um, you know, yeah. we, we lost Dan Bigger. He's just not going to be involved against Uruguay, understandably, because yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think he even underwent a HIA today. I think it was pretty much... Yeah, off, yeah, off, off you come. And off you come, the, yeah. Plus goals, yeah. Plus John Davis, yeah. Josh Adams. Yes, I mean, we've... We, probably seen the kind of injury bulletin I don't think I mean I don't think we're on going in a position to give you the full you know diagnosis of, of, of the injuries is he so soon after the game but Justin Davis it's a knee injury you know that was done you know I think when he was slipping that ball through to Josh Adams to score that, score that um, his hat trick uh, which is a real worry with the knee you know Josh Adams I don't know if it was a a dead leg that we're kind of worrying about. Obviously, Dan Bigger we know about, but, you know, we're starting to resemble, you know, 2015 against England where you're starting to see backs kind of, <laughs> you know, go, going to ground and, and you're starting to kind of set the numbers of who who can play. Um, but again, that it is tournament rugby. And one thing that it says to me is, you know, for 2023, such as the kind of attrition rate in rugby, should world rugby should be open, uh, to squads being larger than 31 players um, because, you know, with four-day turnarounds when you've got those many injuries and you've got to think about kind of player welfare, player safety, should squads be increased maybe to 33 players, 34 players. It, it, it's, I think it's worth a discussion. Especially when you look at the, the ruling for replacements. Yeah. Um, once a player's out of the squad, he's, you know, once you've yeah. chosen to replace him, he's out. So with with, yeah. with Wales now... You'd imagine yeah. they're going to give Dan Bigger and Jonathan Davis every yeah. possible chance to recover. Uh, we don't obviously yeah. we don't know the full extent of the injuries, but presuming that they are sort of touch and go, they'll get yeah. every chance. So, so Wales are now going to have to probably carry two injured players and, and head into Uruguay on Sunday, and then potentially a quarter final the week after with one fly half and two centres. Yeah, it, it's not ideal. I mean, I'm sure it's happened um, previously. I mean, I said you you look over. It. England and it always seems to be the kind of 10 that's time you know Owen Farrell's had two shoulders to the head there's been discussions about whether his accuracy has been impaired by by taking knots you know Johnny Sexton routinely gets lots of um, treatment from the opposition back rows and whatnot you know the likes of Bowden Barrett it it, it is par for the course in, in, in tournament rugby but whether um, you know it's going to affect Wales and 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 ultimately send them out of the tournament is, you know, is, is something that we, we shall find out. But clearly, if you're a player who's in a position where Wales are weak, I think it's best to get on that flight and uh, be within a few hours of, of Japan because the old Stephen Donald's fishing beer story could could yet come up for, for Jared Evans. So wherever you are, Jared, um, get yourself on a, on a flight out to Far East. I don't think I don't think he'd be doing any fishing. Um, not, <laughs> not with this weather in Cardiff at the minute. Uh, no. I suppose if you look at Wales's fixtures now, they're they're looking like they're going to top the pool stage. Um, yeah. Although it's never ideal to nurse injuries, yeah. fixture-wise, it probably looks all right um, with with a pinch of salt. Maybe Uruguay on Sunday they can get through, and then France uh, the week <laughs> after. I know I know what they say about oh, France. France. But, um, <laughs> of all the quarterfinals you could face with with a lot of injuries, that's probably the one you'd be happiest with, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you have to. Everyone in rugby chuckles when they mention France because 
France, as they do every World Cup, are having uh, an overthrow of the coaching staff. You know, Jacques uh, Brunel, who's never really kind of uh, looked like the main man uh, in France, and he's obviously leaving after the World Cup. You know, uh, rumours of a fallout, Guillaume Girardo, who's been a kind of long, longish term captain. Um, again, the stock answer is, you know, you don't know what French side is turning up, but more often than not, it is a pretty poor French side. And recently, there is nothing to suggest that if Wales have nearing a full strength side, that they will not turn over France. So uh, I'm waiting to be, um, you know, have egg on my face for that <laughs> prediction. But I, I, I do believe Wales, you know, you've got momentum, 14, or oh, sorry, 17 wins in 20. You know, where France can't, can't remember the last time France had a kind of real scalp with the you know top top three or four uh, side in, in in the world they just do not I just don't know what sort of rugby they they're trying to play um at all and and again rumors of of, of internal strife it, it, it shouldn't really help matters should it and it's looking now like their game on the weekend against England could be called off as could um Scotland against Japan a quite Oof. farcical end to uh, the pool stage, isn't it? If, if Scotland miss out on a quarterfinal or, or shot at a quarterfinal, um, thanks to the weather, I think suddenly yeah. Typhoon, uh, this super typhoon will be the most hated thing since Craig Joubert. Absolutely. I mean, this was this was all, always going to be the risk, you know, holding a six-week tournament in kind of typhoon season out in Japan. And, you know, for France and England... Maybe not the biggest bother. Most people knew that England were going to top the group and France were going to finish second and, and face Wales. But my Lord, if you spent thousands and thousands of pounds to follow Scotland around and they don't get the chance to try and keep themselves in the running. Obviously, they've nilled their last two, opponent, two opponents and looked, you know, like they've got a little bit of their mojo back. You are going to be raging. I mean, obviously, it's natural causes. There's nothing you can do about the weather, but... You know, surely for the organisers, you know, you know they they they've taken a gamble that they they wouldn't have done if they hosted the the, the tournament in, in traditional companies. I mean, that that being said, it's been a fantastic tournament. But yeah, there's going to be uh, some Scots that will be absolutely raging if that if that is is postponed and two points are given to each side. I suppose ironically, now the Wales have got the bonus point against Fiji, and with the injuries they got, there'll be a perhaps a pang of disappointment that it's not Wales' game against Uruguay that's going to be cancelled because that would automatically <laughs> seal top spot, wouldn't it? Well, well, well it wouldn't, but that, I mean, I guess another kind of uh, something that I thought that I had was Wales was so slow in that first 10 minutes. You, you, you know, everybody and his wife was saying that it's Wales had just imploded, they hadn't started, but I just started thinking they've had 10 days off Surely there's an optimum time between games, and, and it's happened before. You look at football sides who have quite long breaks in between games. You'd think they'd, they'd come out flying, but they're just a little bit rusty. I think Fiji had a six-day turnaround. I think it said it's more ideal than a four-day turnaround, but it's 10 or, or 10 or 11 days too much. You know, Wales didn't get going until kind of 15, 20 minutes a day. Well, Wales had a, te- a six-day turnaround between Georgia and Australia, didn't they? And yeah, well, they came out the blocks pretty well against Australia. Yeah, I, I, I think. I mean, again, we're all into conspiracy theories, but I, I would say ten days there, to three days off, didn't they? It's you know, talk about kind of being battle hardened. Well, you know, what was the reason for such a kind of, you know, they were like rabbit caught in headlights, weren't they? With 
Semi-Rajraja and Batir and, and, and Joshua Tuistovo literally steamrolled three Welsh defenders. I mean, no one in their right mind should you have able to have got over a Welsh defence from 15 metres out from almost a standing start, would they? But it was, you know, it, it was quite the start for them, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, and finally, um, I'm not sure what your prediction for the world for Wales's chance at the World Cup would have been, but from what you've seen today, is well, what is your prediction, and has today's uh, showing sort of changed that? It hasn't changed it. Wales are a very, very difficult side to beat. They may not have all the bells and whistles sometimes that the All Blacks and England show by kind of running in tries and not, you know, for, for fun, albeit they scored a bonus point try today. They've got the easiest side of the draw. They'd have to turn over um, a South African side. That, that's their likely opponents in the semi-finals and once you get a sniff for the finals obviously there's a couple of boys in there who want to atone for 2011's disappointment then then really they've got they've got a chance I'd still put them at kind of fourth favourites behind New Zealand England and South Africa which is probably what the you know, most most are saying but they, they they've got a, they've got a, a winning knack at the moment and they've got a, a, an ability they haven't previously ever had of of winning these super tight games and, and that just gives you belief. I think, like we all say, um, it's down to how many men they have standing and key men. You know, if they lose Jonathan Davis and Dan Bigger for the rest of the tournament, then you, you've got to say they're, they're, they're long shots for it. But um, it'll be very interesting finding out, Ben, won't it? it absolutely will. Uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast, Owen, and uh, enjoy the rest of the World Cup. No problem at all. Thank you, Ben. Cheers now. Okay, so that's what Owen Jones had to say. Um, interesting point there about bigger squads. I think that's probably one that we'd agree with. I think you know. Th- well, I mean, look I'm, at the turnarounds I'm, and, and I'm, injuries. I'm guessing they've 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 kept it at a fairly, you know, constrained 31, because the view is that you know the tier two nations in particular would perhaps find it harder to have that kind of strength in depth. Um, but I mean, certainly, it, it leaves you having to make very hard and tough decisions. If if you want to take nine front row forwards to kind of you know meet the requirements and making sure you can put you know a fit and specialist front row, and it does affect where you're going to go. And Wales have gone just three centres. That's the option they've taken. And you know, sod's law that they, that's where they've got injuries, isn't yep. it? And two two fly halves as well, where they've also got injuries. So. Yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? Yeah, the, unfortunately, the re- not, yeah. reason there's only 31 man squads is cost, because when you were, uh, you know, how many uh, you'd have that there uh, would be 60 extra players, and the cost, uh, uh, um, you know, rugby world cup pay the costs, hotels and all. Imagine how much it costs for all those extra rooms. So it's really, I'd say, it's a co- been a cost issue. Yeah, but but Senegal needs addressing yeah, from a safety point of view. The game's the game's only getting more brutal, isn't it? But it I is. suppose. Yeah. That's not in I place. Mean, having said that, by the time we get to the next World Cup, we might be playing t- almost touch rugby. Oh, Moving on. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, you're right, because, I mean, you've got these injuries in the centre and, and then fly half, and we already know that Daniel Bigger's not going to be involved against Uruguay. I mean, you would almost, you'd think that Jonathan Davis will sit it out as well. Given that you've got um, the split has been more towards, I think, in, in terms of the split in, in the squad of the 31, there was a 
you know, one less uh, back division player. So the you know the options are a bit stretched in terms of the of the players who are going to be on the field in against Uruguay. And there's a couple of issues there. Who's going to you'd expect Patchell to start at ten? Who will provide cover there? And what will they do in the centre? Given that Jonathan Davis is unlikely to play, and Hadley Pass has been carrying this broken bone. What back division would you select against Uruguay? Anne? Thomas Williams, where nine, nine right? Nine. Yeah, Reese Patchell at ten centres. Owen Watkin, who I think should be play. Uh, he's pushing for a first team place. He was excellent today off the bench, and he's got to be. You know, Wales need to consider him as a starter. Parks, because Davis to me, I'm really concerned about Jonathan Davis. His injury that would be a hammer blow for Wales if he was to uh, miss the quarter final. Um, so I would have Parks in the uh, centre, and then I would have Amos on the left wing. I would have Halfpenny at full-back. And then Adams appeared to suffer a dead leg today. North was feeling his leg after making a run. So it could be a case that Liam Williams would have to play on the wing. Now, there's talk of Amos covering outside half, um, which I find a bit strange, really, when Parks has played quite a bit of rugby at outside half and Amos has played in the centre a bit. So I would have thought he would move Parks to outside half in an emergency and put Amos into the centre. Then again, you could have North on the bench covering centre. So, I mean, are we looking at that team? Seven in the starting lineup. You've got three, uh, ten backs. You're going to have to be involved. Have we got ten fit backs to go out there? Well, well, the, uh, Gatland spoke about a six-two split, which ah, I suppose if you yes. started someone like yeah. if you start James your, Davis your, yeah. could cover. Yeah, your back maybe your back line, but say North starts, and then you have Liam and say mm. Alid on the bench. But, Cubby boys in the squad. Tipperick could be will be starting. So there, there is. You could well see. I mean, I've seen James Davis play on the wing for the Scarlets in European yeah, yeah. matches. I mean, we, there well. was, at one point we probably thought he might he might slot in today when Josh Adams mm. was limping yeah. around. There did, was always did, the possibility did, that he could have gone I, there today. I, I think James Davis went to the uh, wing early on when uh, the Scarlets won a bath in yeah, the Champions Cup a couple of years yeah. ago. Yeah, sure he did that. in that match. Um, I think it was the no, it was, match. Uh, no, it was uh, La Rochelle. La Rochelle, the quarter final. Yeah, yeah. yeah and better. obviously the the Pro fourteen semi final, yeah, Pro twelve semi final against Olymp- Leinster. Olympic Games. So, I mean, to me, this oh, yeah. this, this this is now. I mean, no, they only need two points to go through as group winners. So basically, a win, any kind of win, it's get the job done, and then you know get as many potential. 23 players, you know, members of the 23 for the quarterfinal off the pitch as soon as possible. Simon, can I ask you this? In an emergency, if Wales run out of centres against Uruguay, I can't who would, play him who would you game. slot into the centre? Who would you <laughs> slot in the centre? Uh, this feels like a scripted question. Uh, be careful, it's a trap. Oh, Hallam Amos, probably. I think he's got the ability and the footballing ability just to move around, you know, and play at any position. What about uh, if they got to pull forward and now uh, who would you pick? Well, we know that you'd pick Tipperary. I would definitely, <laughs> because I, I only say the same as Shane Williams, Ryan Jones, Martin Williams, etc. Who say that Justin Tipperary could be uh, virtually anywhere in the back. So he wouldn't let anybody down, Andrew. He wouldn't let anybody down. Yeah. He's got good hands. Could, yes. could see that coming from a mile off that setup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that he doesn't set me up all the time. That is true. That is true. Uh, nice little partnership going. Um. I suppose the last thing to touch upon in the podcast um, is that while Wales have to play a game when they probably don't really want to um, with all the injuries they've got, it's looking like a couple of teams might be left in the other situation where they don't play a game when, well, they need to. It's a bit of a mess, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a serious issue because there's a very ser- you know very major typhoon we hear on the way to uh, 
to Japan. Um, it's been very reportable where it's going to hit. It seems it's going to be in the Tokyo area, and which should affect the Yokohama Stadium as well. Which I think where the final is going to be played, isn't it? And where games this weekend. Um, so as it stands, we, we wait for the formal announcement uh, so tomorrow from Japan. But there seems a very real possibility that um, the games between England and France, which obviously is a bearing on who Wales play in the quarterfinals, and the game between Japan and Scotland, which is also fundamental as to who qualifies for the quarterfinals, they could both be abandoned and ruled as zero zero. Now that would mean Scotland going out of the World Cup. What do you reckon the re- reaction of the Scottish fans would be to that? Well, they wouldn't be uh, very happy, understandably, <laughs> because it would be a right farce, wouldn't it? And totally, un- and totally unfair on uh, on Scotland. A uh, simple solution to me is, if necessary, postpone the matches for forty-eight hours if the weather allows that, and you could even play them as late as Monday. And I think we still play a quarterfinal the following weekend on the back Monday. Come on, in the interest of fairness, that game has got to take place. England fans doesn't matter so much in one sense, uh, other than the destiny of the group, because they're both assured of qualification. It wouldn't be a good look for the tournament, would it, for the, the group positions to be decided without the games being played? Well, it'd be a bit of a joke, really, wouldn't it? I think the way they're talking, it's like either play them where they are, either behind closed doors or, you know, in special circumstances, or, or just abandon them. It doesn't seem as though moving to another venue or moving to another day seems to be in the equation at the moment. Well, I wouldn't move them to another venue because I think that would be logistically a lot more difficult than just... Um, so you just you put know, them you back. Know, we've covered matches in the past, haven't we, the Ospreys? Uh, Scarlet's games in Wales and all where the games been put back uh, you know Heineken Cup or whatever games been put back uh, 24 yeah. hours like remember Scarlet's over in um, in uh, Bath it might actually be in previous days it might be in the game was put back 24 hours and they destroyed them in Heineken Cup quarterfinal we could be heading for a storm in more ways than one and we could but uh, you know what I'm glad about Ben is Wales Online have got their own Derek Brockway here Mr Simon Thomas he is a weather expert so he can guide us through this crisis <laughs> I'll do my best there we go. That's one to keep an eye out on for in the next few days. Um, I'm sure there'll be some interesting developments. Uh, but I suppose for, for Wales, it's nice and smooth sailing for now. But um, we'll be bringing you all the latest uh, reaction to the feature game and the build-up to Uruguay. That uh, well, the match that will seal Wales's pool D uh, winner status. All of that in the next few days on Wales Online. <laughs>